Today, I'm talking about sorrows in life. It seems these chapters in Genesis that we find ourselves are full of sorrow, and they really are. Uh, but it, it, in this chapter, we're going to see three deaths and a horrible sin. Uh, but at the same time, the way the chapter begins is in a, a great time of restoration for the person that has to go through all of that. And, and so what I would suggest to you that as believers, we've kind of gotten this North American notion that we should not suffer. No matter who we are around the world, humans like comfort. We like to be comfortable. We like to do what is familiar. In fact, uh, in, in John chapter 21, after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples are kind of confused because... They are not, they're still not real sure what's going on. In fact, in, even in Acts 1, as Jesus ascends, they're asking questions that he goes, nah, that's not the right question. It, it, it seems, you know, until the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, they really didn't get the whole picture. And, and so, as humans, we like to, to know what is familiar. And in John 21, as the disciples are all confused and don't know what to do, Peter, being ADHD, said, I'm going fishing because that's something he knew how to do. And so, and the Bible says, and they all said, we're going with you. They, everybody wanted to do something comfortable. And we as believers, we like to get comfortable. We hate it when God messes with us. But here's something that is a lesson in life. You might want to write this down and remember it. And that is you only learn in failure. You will not learn in success. You will learn in failure. It drives the point home. You figure out how to do it. You come at it better. And you don't learn in failure if you quit. You following that? Jacob messed up, but he never quit. Thank the Lord. You know, all of us have messed up, but when you quit is when failure becomes fatal or final. Okay, I didn't get any amens. Hopefully by the end of the sermon you can amen that, all right? Um, so, so here's what I want you to take home with you today. And that is walking with God does not eliminate sorrow, but God is always faithful. I'm, I'm here to tell you and testify that God always has his way. God is always faithful. He always gets done what needs to get done. And, always, and in case you disagree with what I said it so far, I encourage you to read the whole of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews where it talks about those who never saw the promise but, never, but were always faithful even though they died having not received the promise. But last week we heard a great sermon, uh, not because of the speaker, but because uh, of, of what he showed us there in the scripture uh, about Jacob and, and what God did. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because he knew he's going to hand it back off to me. He just said, verse 8 stands by itself. And then he, he, he said, it, it's, it's important, but I don't have time to get into it. So now I got to tell you, right? He should have helped me out a little bit, but no, I'm just kidding. By the way, I Church for Kids is going on. I forgot to announce that, but I guess all of them went. A lot of people are coming second service for our meeting. And so I want to touch on uh, verse 8 uh, before we go on. And, and here's what makes this verse unusual. Number one, it's just in the middle of a narrative and it just dropped in there. And let me read it for you. Look there in verse 8 and 35. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. Now, <clears throat> the he there is Jacob. So his mother's nurse is still going along with him. All right? Here's what makes this unusual. 
The Bible records Rebecca's nurse's death and where she was buried to an exact location. It never mentions Rebecca's death. That's very unusual in these passages because it all, all the people that are key players, it talks about when they died and what happened. And the Bible ignores Rebecca's death. In fact, we're not even sure exactly maybe where she was buried. It's, it, it just doesn't say it. And the only solution that men have come up with, why God didn't mention her, is because she betrayed her husband. She, took, she, she helped Jacob betray her husband. And so the Bible didn't honor her by even telling us when she died. But her nurse, when she died, Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob uh, uh, takes care of that. So, and it also could be that she became sort of like a surrogate mother to Jacob, being his mother's nurse. I'm sure that she took care of him a lot. So I just want to cover that and then, and then move on. Because we learned last week what God did with Jacob and, and how, he, uh, how he helped Jacob, even though Jacob had, had really, really messed up. And so I want to pick up this in verse 9 and read through verse 15. So hang in here with me. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And, Jake, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham, that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken. With him, a pillar of stone, he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, the house of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what we learned in this chapter uh, about Jacob and about how you dealt with him. And Lord, may we get the lessons from it so that we can endure uh, the tough times of our life, the sorrows of our life. Uh, Lord, uh, there might be people in this auditorium or listening to this this morning who have great sorrow in their life, and they need to know you are a God who never quits working with us, never abandons us, but you are with us always, and you are the Almighty God. So, Lord, today we bow before you, and we ask you for your help, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, the only way we can pray. Amen. Well, in this, we are seeing the full restoration of Jacob. And I want you to notice that God doesn't just say something to Jacob. Notice what it says there in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob. So he saw him. Before Jacob might have, might have heard a voice. But now God is showing up to, that he could be seen physically. Again, uh, humans not only like the comfortable, we like the curiosity as well. That make an alliterated sermon, wasn't it? Comfort curiosity. We like the curious stuff. We, we like the woo stuff. And Christians are always looking for these, for these kind of crazy things. But guess what? We've already seen God. Jesus came, the Bible says, and he was the express image of the Godhead in bodily form. And he was seen. Now, we may not see him 
physically ourselves in this lifetime. We, have, we, we probably won't see him in any sort of vision. But the Bible paints the picture so we know that he is there and that he, does, that he has appeared to us. And in fact, that is the test uh, to test the spirits. Is Jesus God? Did he come in the flesh? Because spirits will not say that. It cannot be set apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. But it says he appears to Jacob. God is showing up and get, making a personal, uh, a personal uh, uh, visitation again. And it says he, ca- he saw him again when he came from Padamaram. And then he blessed him. Not only did he show up, but he brings a blessing. Jacob has is, is messed up. God's had to correct him. And now God wants to bless him. He wants to give him something extra there. So, by the way, notice too, he appears to Jacob. What's the next word in your Bible? Again. Again. Sometimes our sorrow is we think that we've messed up so bad God's left us. And that God would never have anything more to do with us. That is a lie from the devil, okay? That is a lie from the pit. God loves you so much he will show up again and again and again and again. All right? God will not abandon you. God will not leave you alone. In fact, God will be your defender. We, we've been singing this morning uh, uh, songs that, that encourage us that way. And he appears to Jacob. He appears again. And then God said to him, your name is Jacob. Now, last week we learned, and before that we learned, a few chapters back we learned that God said, you'll no longer be Jacob, but your name will be called Israel. But God shows up in the beginning of the chapter, and God said to Jacob. And, and we understood that, number one, God's telling you something. Number two, he's calling you by your old name after he said, I've changed your name. Sort of like somebody said afterwards, like when Jesus looked at Peter and went, Simon? Uh, in fact, he told him, Simon, Satan's desired to have you. He called him Peter when he, worked, when he did it right. So like when your mom uses your full name, you know, not just your nickname. When she says it all in one sentence loudly, you go, oops, I'm in trouble. Well, God appears and he, uh, to Jacob again. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. And no longer shall your name be called Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. Well, haven't you already said that? Yeah, but now he's renewing it. He's reminding Jacob. You, you realize that human beings, if you do something over and over and over, it develops a habit. But you got to do it a lot for that habit to develop. You do it every day for two weeks, it is a habit. A month, it's even a better habit. But advertisers know you have to hear something 19 times before you hear it for the first time. You may hear it, but you don't notice it. you got to hear it over and over and over. Well, I, won't, I don't want to encourage one thing, but I want to point one thing out. If you are watching a movie or a television show, notice how many times you see a Coke product. <laughs> They're in all of them. Why? Because they want that to be what you see. They, that company spends a lot of money to make sure you know they're around. Well, guess what? That's why the Bible tells us to go and preach the gospel, right? Constantly, over and over. And you may have somebody you've been trying to talk to and they're not hearing, not hearing it. Somebody gave us a testimony a few weeks back, not in the church, but I was speaking to the pastors and saying he had been witnessing to this guy one time in his life over and over and over and been quoting a verse to him. And one day he said, hey, read this passage. And it was the verse he had quoted. When the guy read it, he went, it woke him up. Now, he had heard it a bunch, but boy, when he saw it, 
he really saw it and he got saved. And sometimes you, I don't want you to lose hope. But I want you to catch the next phrase. I intentionally stopped because look at the next phrase. So God, he called his name Israel. Earlier when God named him, I went back and looked. He says, you were called Jacob, but from now on you'll be called Israel. And then he goes and tells him some stuff. He doesn't call him out by name. Here it says, God appeared to Jacob. Back in verse 1, he said to Jacob, and then he says, but your name's going to be called Israel. And then it repeats it and said, and so God called him Israel. He said, your name's going to be called Israel. Hey, Israel. It's, he's, he's emphasizing it to him. I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to call you what I have made you to be, Israel. And then here's the comfort. That, you know, that's fine. But here's the next thing God says. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. We always want God to tell us and comfort us because we like the comfortable, right? And we like the curious, so we want to go to a fortune teller or have some little kid uh, die and go to heaven and come back and tell his parents so we can believe in heaven. The Bible tells us there is a heaven. That's all you need. All right? And, and we, we like the curious. We want that calling, but when God shows up, he doesn't do that. He shows us himself. Because our comfort is in trusting him. Not in how we feel about it, but in who he is. And our relationship to him. And so, God Almighty shows up. And he, let, he lets him know, I'm not just some dude that played with you all night and wrestled with you before I broke your hip. I am God Almighty I am the, the, the creator God. I have all power and all strength. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to him. Philippians tells us about Christ. There's no, that, that he's been given a name above all names. And Acts uh, chapter 4 verse 12 lets us know that there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. That Jesus is all in all. And this is Jesus appearing to Jacob. And he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who, uh, well, he, he's a very popular theologian. He once said this. With God's supreme power, all power, to do our best. With his great love to desire to give us the best. With his omnipresence and omniscience to know our best, what do we lack? We are of all men most blessed. Listen, when God shows up and he gives you that new name, your name used to be sinner, now it's saint. He is God Almighty and he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What do you lack? You lack nothing. And so, God says you're doing a good work, but you're going to do an even greater work. Notice what God says. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. That should sound odd. And it should sound odd for this reason. The dude's already got 11 kids. When God said be fruitful and multiply before, it was people didn't have any children. 
He's got 11 children. Why would he say that? Dude, you've already been pretty fruitful. You've already multiplied. Notice God always tells us to multiply, not add, right? I like that part. I won't get into that, but I like it. We'll read the next phrase. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Now, did God mean that physically? Yeah, because that did happen physically, but he also means that spiritually. Not only, not only are nations, a nation coming out, the nation of Israel, but nations. You know, there are some people out there that believe that the people in the Old Testament did not see the church coming, but that's only because they didn't read it because it's in there. And, and, and the Jews, Jewish leadership in Jesus' day thought that, that, that it was only for them. They, they ignored all the Old Testament things about how you bring the stranger in, make him a part of the commonwealth of Israel, which meant spiritually coming in to be the people of God. That's what Romans chapter 2 and Galatians talks about, that we are the people of God because we are his spiritually, even if we're not physically born a Jewish person. And right here he says to Jacob, I will make you a company of nations. You talk about multiplication. It's not just one, it's a community. It's a, a community of nations. We're all related in Christ. That's why Psalm 2, it says that, that God has said to Jesus, I'm going to make the nations, the earth, your footstool. And all the nations are going to come under your power. That is why we witness. That is why we tell people about Christ. Because it is our job to bring all the lost into a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we depend on God to bring them fully to salvation. And so God appears and restores Israel. Man, he tells him what's what and gives him a greater vision for the future. He says, these nations and kings. And then he said, he renews the promise. The land I told Abraham, I told your dad Isaac. Now I'm telling you, uh, your people, are you going to possess that? And then verse 13, God went up from the place where he'd spoken with him. So God leaves him and Jacob re renews the altar. He restores that pillar at Bethel. He goes back to it, he fixes it up, pours oil on it again, and he says, wow, God's given me another chance. I, a pastor who's now with the Lord, he used to always say, God is the God of the second chance. And here is one of the evidences of that, that God would take care of Jacob even after Jacob, as we learned in the past couple of chapters, messed up so badly. Now God comes and restores him. And so understand that. Understand first, because this is what helps you face the sorrows of life. That you know God is God that he, and that he is with you. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. The strongest promise in the Bible. I've gone through tough times. I've been down where I thought I couldn't go on. And I was asked the question, we read all these promises about God's deliverance and it seems like you're not delivered. What promise can you absolutely always count on? Because God doesn't, not every promise, well... I don't want to say that that way. Sometimes there's a promise that God's made to somebody, but, he, but he's got you in a place because he's teaching you something. As I told you, you only learn in failure. If you never fail, you're never going to learn. You're going to think everything's fine. And you never, you never realize that there's things you, you don't know because you don't know. Pastor, uh, what we call Pastor Mac, but Pastor McFarlane at Calvary Evangelical Baptist, I learned this phrase from him. People only do what they know. And they only know what they've been taught. 
God puts us in the school of experience so that we might know him, that we might experience him and realize he is enough and that we need nothing else. And so, so Jacob worships. Well, then Jacob's going to go through some sorrow for the rest of this chapter. Let me show you what's happening. First of all, his favorite wife dies. Rachel dies. Deborah was mentioned in verse 8. But here we see, uh, in beginning verse 16, they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Uh, Ephrath. Jake, uh, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. What good news to Rachel. She prayed back in chapter 30 in verse 1 that God would give her more than one child. And God gave her a second son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of bitterness, son of sorrow. But this is the only child Jacob names. No, we're going to call him Benjamin or Benjamin. Ben is the word for son in Hebrew. Like Mac in my name is, means son. Or O if you're Irish means son. Like O'Brien is son of Brian. Mac Carter is son of Carter. Ben-Yamin is son of my right arm or son of my strength. Because most people are right-handed, so it was son of my strength is what it was meant to be. But it real, literally means son of my right arm. That, that this is the son of my strength. This is Jacob's 12th child and last child. And you remember, we'll come to it later, uh, when Joseph is in Egypt and his brothers come, he says, you got any more brothers? So we got one more, but daddy ain't going to let him come see you. <laughs> well, if you don't bring him, you don't get any more grain, right? This, this became the pet for Jacob, especially after he lost Joseph. Jacob had this problem with playing favorites. He couldn't hide the fact he liked one better than the other. He liked Rachel more than Leah. He liked Joseph more than the rest. And then when Joseph was gone, he liked Benjamin more than the rest. But the brothers, I think, learned something from Joseph. So they didn't mess with, with Benjamin too much. And Jacob renames this son and, and notice what happens here. So Rachel died. She's buried on the way to Ephrath. That is on their way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem starts playing into the Bible here, doesn't it? Yeah, it plays all the way through. Uh, there's a lot of references back to Bethlehem all through Scripture. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. So she's buried near on their way to Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem is a reminder to us. It's letting us know this is an important place. Things are coming. Well, he has his sorrow in Rachel's death. Then he has a sorrow in his oldest son. After Rachel dies, and this is one of those uh, sensitive things, while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went in and lay with Bilah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, we don't have the Old Testament law yet, but everybody knows you shouldn't do that, okay? But again, it's not about the act he did, it's why did he do it? What did that act mean? And because of, this is speculation... When I'm preaching, I try to be real careful to let you know when I'm speculating and when I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that. 
But we have to understand it like a person back then would understand it. And that is this. That was his. Bilhah is the mother to some of the kids. Reuben is Leah's son. Right? The, the mom that, the, the, the wife that Jacob doesn't like so much. And they're watching their dad be passive in the chapter before. And not do anything about his daughter going through an assault. And letting his sons take charge. And now they don't know what God's done with Jacob. And so Reuben is saying, I'm the head of this family. That's what he's doing. He's claiming to be the leader of the family. And Isaac stays quiet. I mean, Jacob stays quiet. Until chapter 49. And though we'll get to it eventually, let me just show you as... Jacob is dying in Egypt. He says this in verses 3 and 4. Reuben, you are my firstborn. This is the guy that should get everything. My might and the first fruit of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Talk about passive-aggressive, man. He held on to this thing for a long time before he did something about it. But boy, when he did it, he took him out of leadership. Oh, don't forget, Simeon and Levi are the next two. And they killed a bunch of people in a city. And so, in this same passage, we'll, I'll bring all this back out when we come back to it. But he takes away their standing. The fourth one down is Judah where Jesus is coming from. And by default, the fourth son becomes the head heir of Jacob. So, though God would not want Reuben to do what he did, it plays into God's will because Judah becomes the preeminent tribe being the heir of all the blessings by Leah, by that first wife. And Reuben, maybe by the death of Rachel, said, okay, she's out of the way. I'm going to show who's who and what's what. But Jacob or Israel doesn't do anything about it. But he lost his birthright through that sin. And his sin was in declaring himself head of the family. He's usurping his father's authority. And even if you're a sorry leader, if God's made you the leader, you're the leader. Right? Now, we shouldn't stay sorry. We ought to learn and get better, right? So if you think you're a sorry dad, then get better. That's, all, that's what it means, right? But Jacob has sorrow at Rachel's death. Now he has sorrow that his son is trying to take over. He's had sorrow at his mother's handmaiden's death. And now, not only that, but now his dad's about to die. The sons of Jacob were 12. It goes on in verse 22. And the son of Leah, sons of Leah, and now he names them all again. God names the tribes once again. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel are Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant that Reuben lays with. Dan and Naphtali, or Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padam Aram. 
And now Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kiriath Arbor. That, and so Isaac's not traveling with him. He goes back to where his dad is, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. He outlived the years that, that Abraham lived. Abraham lived 175, I think. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. So Isaac dies. He lives 20 years after the blessing uh, of, of Jacob. And Jacob is now the head patriarch. He's the last guy. I don't know if you're the only son or the oldest son of your parents. And I don't know if you've experienced your father's death. But I'm the only son of my father. And I can remember when my dad died going, oh man. I'm now the, I'm now the, the oldest male here. Born to my father. I, I, I got to take care of everybody else. This, it, you feel that weight come down on you. You understand like, I don't have my dad to lean on anymore. Now I'm supposed to be doing it. But there's something real interesting in this text. And I quit before I got to it. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Did Esau mess up? Sure did. Did Jacob mess up? Sure did. You notice the Bible put them back in birth order here? This is the greatest duty a son can do for his father, is burying. And Esau and Jacob, they buried the hatchet to bury their dad, at least. They buried it already, and now they get back together to bury Isaac, their father. Now Jacob, not only is he the head of this whole big clan, he's the head of this promise he is that oldest patriarch now. We, we would count the 12 tribes as patriarch leaders as well, but they didn't do all that much. But, but Jacob is now in charge of all this. And God is developing, and here's what I want you to see. This is a very sorrowful chapter. We see it's, uh, the handmaiden of Rebekah dies. We see Rachel dies in childbirth. We see that, uh, that Isaac dies. Jacob has been restored, and he's walking through this, plus Reuben tries to usurp his dad's authority. And the Bible doesn't mention it much anymore. Like Reuben sort of is leading his brothers, but not really. But now what you need to see is God is beginning to develop a people and a nation. The, the best way I ever heard it put is God picked a man, Abraham, and from that man he made a family, which we get to Jacob. And out of that family, he creates a clan of 12 boys. And out of that clan, he puts them in a safe nursery in Egypt so they can grow into a nation. And then he moves them back to that land of promise to be the nation so that from the one tribe, Judah, we could have a Savior be born for us. And this is the beginning of God's motion. We, see, we saw it in Abraham. But now we're at this turn point where Jacob is the patriarch in charge. And he's got to take care of these 12 boys. And then the rest of, of Genesis is talking about how God protected them and developed them into a nation. So we'll start getting into that as we go forward. But here, here's some things I want you to remember and, and maybe do something about this week. First of all, realize that the Lord is near to people with a broken heart. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. When you're bruised and when you're broken, God shows up. 
He, he never leaves us alone there. Now, well, I won't say that. God, God always shows up to help us through the broken times. But remember, it's in that brokenness that God can use us. I don't know if you've ever been to a lumber store and you see all that cut wood up there. It's so pretty. Nice long two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and two-by-eights and four-by-fours and all that stuff. And they're just all beautiful, stacked up there, neat, clean, gorgeous. But totally useless, but it's gorgeous. But when a carpenter comes or a builder comes and takes some of that beautiful wood off the shelf and starts cutting it and sanding it and forming it, they build beautiful buildings and beautiful structures out of that. Just remember that. If you're in sorrow, if you're in failure, if you're in pain, God is near to you because he's building something in you. In Jacob, he's building something so that these boys will grow into a nation and that nation will not forget God. And of course they will, they do. But God is always working through them to bring the world to himself. Secondly, let God tell, declare who you are. Not, don't, don't you figure that out. Let God tell you who you are. I, and as we've talked about this, I, I keep in my mind, I keep going back to certain North American tribes uh, of indigenous peoples because they didn't name their children, uh, some of them, until later, until they saw who, what they were going to look like. Some of them, they, some had a tradition of just naming them the first thing they saw. But, but you may remember a series of books called The Leather Stocking Tales. The, one part of that story was made into a movie, The Last of the Mohicans, uh, is one part of that. But in there, it's the story of a white guy who has lived with the, the Indians of his area. And his name keeps changing because what you do changes your name in that culture. And so they called him Deerslayer. Because he had never killed a man. Not because he was such a great shot at shooting deer. They were making fun of him. Oh, you've never gone to war and killed a man. The only thing you can kill are deer. So they called him Deer Slayer. Then later they called him Hawkeye because he could take them out at a great distance. His name was Natty Bumpo. So I'd rather have Deer Slayer or, or Hawkeye than Natty Bumpo. I mean, that's kind of a weird name, isn't it? But God comes to us and he calls us who we are. And the Bible tells us in Revelation, when we get to heaven, he's going to write our name on a rock and hand it to us. And only us and him are going to know that name. And it's going to be who we are. You see, you don't know who you are until you know who you are in Christ. There's a southern saying that a man's not a man until his daddy tells him he is. But let me tell you, you're not, you're not one of God's until God says you are. And when God calls you, he He's got a name for you. you. You may not even know what it is. But rest assured, Dad is doing something in your life so that one day he can say, hey, this is, this is why you went through all that. This is what I was calling you that whole time. This is my pet name for you. So let God decide who you are. I grew up in a time when a bunch of people didn't know what up from down or in from out or right from left or north from south. And so a bunch of kids went out to find themselves. Uh, I mean, I never fell into it. I always want to go, well, I know where you are. You're right there. I mean, what do you mean find yourself? What they meant was they were trying to figure out who they were as a person. 
You will never figure that out apart from God. Let me just assure you of that. You have no clue who you are apart from God because God made you. God made you because he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you and he, and he wants that so much that he put on flesh and dwelt among us and died on a cross so that he could redeem you out of this world of sin and call you by a name you never had before and make you his own. That's who we need to be. And then thirdly, and, and, and so just this week, just say, Lord, I don't know what your name for me is, but I trust that you're doing a work in my life. And the last thing I would say is, you have to let go of certain areas in your life to receive Christ's grace for you. Jacob had to give up being that deceiver. He had to quit working it out for himself. He had to quit trying to work the circumstance around for himself. And in our grief, sometimes we get angry at God, and that's part of grief. God gave us grief to help us work through bad times. All right? You, you, you experience grief not only at the death of a person, but you can experience grief over loss of a job or some setback in life. And, and there are these levels and processes people have labeled and figured out. But listen, if you're ever going to have peace, you've got to let go and let God do something in your life. And when you let go of that grief, it takes Christ's grace to say, you know what? God's got something bigger. I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm going to keep moving forward. You keep praying. You keep asking God if there's something you want God to do. You, you never quit doing that. But you, eventually you have to let go and say, you know what? God knows what he's doing because he's El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. He can do whatever he wants, but he's not a capricious God. He's not one that just goes, hmm, let's just let's mess with her today. Boom. That's not the kind of God he is. He loves us. He, he wants our best, but our best is found in Christ. And so sometimes we cling to the things of this world so tightly that our grief is overwhelming at the loss of those things. Remember what Jesus told the rich man who said, what must I do to have eternal life? He said, oh, we'll keep these commandments. He said, I've kept all of those. Jesus didn't mention any of them that had to do with God, by the way. He said, well, you only lack one thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. That's the only person recording the Bible God told him to sell everything. A lot of people did it, but that's the only one recorded that he told them to. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. And when you cling to the things that you own, you think you own, because everything you are and own belongs to God, it really hurts when you lose it. But it, and it's going to hurt anyway, but when you let go and let God have his way in your life, the grief becomes a stepping stone to joy and victory in the future. And that's what Jacob sees here. And so let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your abundant mercy and grace. We thank you that you are the God of the second chance, that even when we have totally failed, you have never failed. And that's why you tell us that, that you are faithful so that you won't let us go. For even if we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. You keep every promise. You accomplish everything your will has declared you will bring this world to a, a known ending because you have designed that ending and that you are giving us a chance, even in hard times. And Lord, we, we really haven't seen hard times yet. They may be coming very quickly, 
They may not. But we know literally billions of Christians today in other parts of this world who are starving to death, who have been displaced by war and persecution, who are in danger of losing their life every day of the week. And yet they cling to you. And they find joy in knowing your presence. God, forgive us for being whiners, complainers, for holding tightly to our security blankets here, the things that make us comfortable, for being curious and wanting more than you've already given us because you've given us all of yourself. What more would we desire? What more do we need? What more do we want? Lord, you revealed yourself to us that we might be saved. And there might be somebody here today that God has not shown you your need yet. That maybe hasn't spoken to you until today. And in this moment, God is speaking to your life, your heart. There's something stirring inside of you saying, I know there's something I need. There's something not right and I need Christ. I need the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And God is calling you to absolute surrender to his will. Pastor Andy's playing a song. Let's all stand up. I'm going to invite you. If you're in that place, that condition, if you just come meet me down here at the front, there are people that will want to just talk to you. We won't embarrass you. We'll sit down with you in private. And we'll open a Bible. We'll show you what God says in his word about how you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I just want to invite you to come down. We have pastors. They're they're going to show up down here. And they'll help you. There are others here that will help you.